We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today on The Timeline, LeBron joined the Lakers and the West is the worst. Devin Booker earned a paycheck and we overreact to Summer League. Sam, we're back. We're back. I made it. I survived Las Vegas. Yeah, you survived. How was it? (laughs) It was fantastic. I had a really great time. Welcome to the Timeline Podcast for all of our listeners. I was in Summer League. For those who don't know, I don't think we've talked about this much. Sam does not live in Arizona. He's a lot further away from Las Vegas than I am. He's in New York State. Yeah, I'll make it out there one day, though. Trust me on that. Yes, it's it's part of the plan. Maybe maybe next next year for summer league we can we can do a live podcast taping directly from Las Vegas, Nevada. I had a really great time though. It was you know amidst all of the uh, blog boys that were networking and all the podcast hosts in the crowd, there was a lot of Suns fans there as well. Yeah, and speaking from my end, it, it definitely sounded like it. You know, just on the TV, like it sounded like the Suns fans were out in full support. Yeah, I would say so. You know, no Lonzo Ball this year, so it wasn't all Lakers fans. You know, the the real Lakers fans, I guess, were there, the ones that want to see Mo Wagner. <laughs> <laughs> they showed up in full force. But but last year with Lonzo Ball and LeVar Ball, who made a showing, there were a lot more Lakers fans this year. I would say the Suns fans were, were the number one represented fan base, which makes sense. It's only a few hours away from Phoenix, and we had the number one pick. If you're going to go to Summer League as a Suns fan and you live in Arizona, this is the one to do i would say yeah it, it's awesome there's still one game left so this episode might become pretty dated um pretty quickly but for now two wins in a row the suns proved to us that they can indeed count to two and the last time they won two games in a row mike was do you want to guess oh 
no, February? December. December oh 6th my God. and 18th of 2017, which means we went like two-thirds of last season not ever stringing together consecutive <laughs> wins. Yeah, we were bad. So th- this is a good sign. Things are definitely looking up. All right, we're going to have to talk about our overreactions to Summer League, but we there's been a few things that have happened since the last time we recorded, so let's get straight to the news. First breaking news, LeBron James has officially retired from the NBA. He's going to spend the rest of his days on the beach in Los Angeles, California, where he can choose to not compete for championships anymore, I guess. Yeah, and that's partially because of someone else who just navigated to the Pacific Division. Unfortunately, so unfortunately, both both of these things happened like 45 minutes after we recorded our last episode, which was a full week ago. And it feels pretty silly now because if you were with us then, we were talking about Trevor Ariza cutting Allen Williams like that's been the highlight of the Suns offseason so far and then LeBron goes to LA and DeMarcus Cousins goes to the Warriors so well yeah and I'm sure people have talked about this to death but just at my perspective on LeBron James going to the Lakers one it sucks because we have to play them four times because we're in the same division but two it just is another reminder that it's not the worst time to be a Suns fan because the expectations are not championship if we won 35 games next year it would be a resounding success for most fans um you know the ones that aren't too unrealistic but as far as he's there and he one thing I'm surprised at is they've found a way to surround him with a team that is worse than the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a strange, such a strange grouping. Oh my God, Lance! They're paying Lance almost as much as the Warriors are paying Cousins too. Yeah, and Contavious Caldwell Pope is making more. Yeah, it's just it's, it's, it's a bit, well, he's a he's a clutch. He, he has LeBron's agent, so it makes a lot of sense that they're paying him a lot of money. But look how that destroyed the Cleveland Cavaliers, and LeBron left there eventually. But he signed, a, he signed a longer deal in Los Angeles, so I guess we have to deal with LeBron James, a Laker. As far as I'm concerned, though, he went there specifically to avoid competing with the Warriors for a championship. Now, of course, he might run into them earlier in the playoffs, but there's no way that that team's getting past the Warriors, especially because of the second news item we're going to talk about. DeMarcus Cousins is now... A warrior, another divisional uh, team that we have to play four yeah, times. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's eight guaranteed losses for us next season, right? If we're talking about it from a short-term perspective. Um, but what you said a minute ago yeah. is exactly right. As a Suns fan, you just don't lose sight of the fact that this is the best time to be on the bandwagon for the timeline right now. Just don't lose sight of the mm-hmm. long-term goal and understand that there might not be much parity in the NBA right now, but the NBA does have parity and it doesn't have parity, right? It doesn't have parity in the sense that we're going into the season right now knowing that the Warriors are basically guaranteed a championship. It does have parity in the sense that any team can become a, a sort of version of what the Warriors did down the line. I mean, what the Warriors have done has been entirely by the rules. The fact that Kevin Durant went there was extremely lucky for them. It required the cap jumping by like $25 million in one summer. And then the fact that you have guys like DeMarcus Cousins who are now ring chasing, right? So they got lucky along the way. But the Warriors, the fact of the matter is they were a laughing stock for like the previous 25 years before they built this current dynasty. They played by the rules of the CBA. They're not one of the biggest market teams and they created a dynasty. So if they can do it, then 
you got to keep the faith if you're a Suns fan that eventually we can do the same thing. Yeah, and the Warriors, they weren't like the Miami Heat or the Boston Celtics championship team that was basically created overnight. They became super teams the Warriors built over time through the draft and that's what the Suns are trying to do and during that time when the Warriors were building through the draft they weren't really winning a lot of games it took some time for that chemistry to build and that's what the Suns are trying to do so it's not the worst time to sort of sit out of that uh, playoff race because it's going to be it's going to be a battle Uh, these teams are they're going to be battling and you know with no shooters on the Lakers that's kind of an interesting thing the weirdest thing for me is I've been a pretty big LeBron James fan for basically well since he was in high school I remember watching clips of him on the internet before YouTube existed and now I feel like I can't I can't be now he's washed up he'll never be as good as Michael Jordan it's just it's (laughs) the end of any love I'll ever have for LeBron James it's it's I become I'm I'm Skip now. I'm Skip Bayless. You're the opposite. I, I, You're the opposite of all those Lakers fans who have been defending Kobe over LeBron for the past ten or fifteen years, and now have to all pretend yeah. that they've loved LeBron the entire time, right? Yeah, exactly. Now I am on the 100% LeBron James can never be the goat side of the argument. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's all about team wins now. I guess. I don't know. For me, for me, it has no real bearing on on the legacy. It's just it's hard not to feel a little deflated. I'm still very excited for the Suns. We wouldn't be hosting this podcast if we weren't excited about the Suns this upcoming season. I recognize the goal was never for us to compete for a championship. I'm not unrealistic. I've said before, like 30, 35 wins, I would be happy with that. But, but all that being said, it is hard not to feel just a little deflated. Not even the LeBron to the Lakers thing so much, but mostly just the Cousins signing. Because, I mean, have some, have some respect, some self-dignity. Uh, it's just... Well, we are talking about DeMarcus Cousins. I know we're talking about DeMarcus (laughs) Cousins, but it's just... And it's not even Cousins' fault. It's Durant's fault going back a couple years. But this conversation has been beaten to death, so let's get right into good news, which is... Yeah, the most important signing. Uh, Well, actually, you know what? Let me tell a story before we get to that. Summer League, I watched... And we'll get into our Summer League overreactions once again in a minute, but I watched the Suns play the Kings, and... uh, after the Suns-Kings game ended, a lot of the crowd started filtering out of the arena. I had to sit kind of far for that game because there were so many fans there. I didn't mind. I had a good view of what Igor was doing on the coach when I sat up high. But the Bulls played next, and I wanted to see Wendell Carter Jr. up close. So I started to trickle my way down closer to the arena. I ended up getting about 10 rows away from the front, so I was pretty close. And as I got there, I kind of looked to my left and I said, oh, that guy looks like Shams. Sham wow. Sharania. And I looked again and I said, oh, that is Shams Sharania. And wow. uh, I kept kind of one eye on Shams and one eye on the game as I was watching it because I kept thinking, oh, that I wonder what he's doing right now. Is he reporting? Also, he's very young in person. Very surprising. But Well, he's very young in general. Yeah. It's, how does he have so much power at like 25 years old? I, and, I don't know. He was, breaking, he was breaking big time news when he was still in college. It's crazy. Exactly. As I was creeping on him, as I was stalking him a little bit, I saw his phone light up and I thought, oh my God, it's a text message. What is it? What is it about? What could it be? It could be anything. And I texted you actually as it was happening. I said, I'm sitting next to Shams. Uh, you know, I sent out the beacon. And and then Shams gets up and he walks away. I wanted to know how he smelled. Yeah, yeah. I didn't get, unfortunately, I didn't get close enough to take a sniff, but... He gets up and walks away after he gets that text message. And then about five minutes later, my phone starts blowing up with the news. The biggest news that Shams reported, Devin Booker has officially signed his extension. No surprise from us, right? 
No surprise from us at all. <laughs> the only thing about that, do you think if you're in Shamsa's position, like this is what you do for a living, mm-hmm. do you even get excited anymore? Like when you get that text message, are you like, oh, that's really big news. That's cool. Or are you just like, you know, you just sigh and you take out your phone and you like type in the tweet. You type it sort of fast to make sure that Woj doesn't beat you the punch. But like, it's just, <laughs> it's just like a formality at this point. Or what do you think is going through the newsbreakers mind? One, I've thought about this a lot. And two, I guarantee he had that text message written out, ready to hit send as soon as he got the confirmation. Yeah, he probably, probably didn't true. have to type it. But what what I will say is he did look kind of bored. He, you know, and I get it, right? It's a Chicago Bulls Cleveland Cavaliers summer league game. Is Markinen <laughs> even playing? I didn't watch that game. Is he in summer? Yeah, no, Markinen didn't play. No, okay. it was you know. Well, I, I, Wendell Carter Jr. versus Colin Sexton. I That's loved it personally yeah. as as a nerd, but. Uh, so Devin Booker signed it. I don't think this was a surprise at all. Some people got a little scared that there was no news coming out, but I didn't expect anything out of that. Contracts take some time to negotiate. The money was set for since wait, basically since Devin Booker hit uh, 70 points versus the Boston Celtics. I never thought that that would change. There's other aspects about a contract, as the godfather Gambo reported on. He said Amari Stoudemire had a security detail um, you know, uh, some people have different things in their writers, stuff they expect to have at games, private travel. Those types of things take a little more time to develop on a contract. So when he signed it, no big surprise. It's amazing news for Phoenix Suns fans. We get to watch Devin Booker essentially until right before he turns 27 years old and, 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 and see maybe some of the best development years and see how great he plays over the length of that contract. And that's sort of a plus in and of itself too, right? When he finishes this next contract, he's still only going to be 27. So if we keep him happy, right. which by all means I hope we're trying to do, but if we keep him happy and he's in a position where he's ready to re-sign with us again when he's 27, I mean, that's you can get max contract money and not feel bad about having to give it out at that age because you're not really worried about a guy declining it. You know, it's not like when you have an unrestricted free agent who's on the wrong side of 30. So this is this is absolutely great Chris, news. Chris Paul. Yeah, like Chris Paul. It's not like giving <laughs> $40 million. Although by then, the contracts, I mean, who knows? We may be throwing $60 million at Booker. But whatever the salary cap is, then pay the man the money because obviously he has the potential to be one of the brightest superstars in this league. It's just without a doubt the case. You know, I think the number one thing that Suns fans like to talk about is how young Devin Booker is. <laughs> <laughs> and how young Dragon Bender is, too. Oh, well, that's a different He's only 13, guys. Come on. It's... <laughs> he hasn't even grown his wings yet. <laughs> yeah, just wait. Just wait for the fire breathing next year. It's coming by the time he plays his sixth summer league. <laughs> one thing I will say, too, is for the first time, yeah, I go to, as I haven't talked about this on the podcast, but as you know, Sam, I go to a lot of Suns games. I like to go to Suns events. I like to interact with fans. Sometimes I just eavesdrop. You know, I'm not always interacting. I just like to listen to the conversations. And for the first time as a Suns fan, either in person or even online, I saw or I spoke to a Phoenix Suns fan that is a Devin Booker hater. I hadn't experienced that in person yet. Well, let me guess. What did he say? Well, yeah, what well, defenses have the game, and uh, like, <laughs> what, what did he say specifically? Exactly that he doesn't play any. He doesn't play any defense. Are we really going to pay him over twenty million dollars a year? Uh, you know what I liked though is the balls. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's balls. But you know what? You know why it happens? One hundred fifty-eight million dollars is a lot of money, and most people mm-hmm. in this country, you go to your bullshit job, and then you come home for your. I mean, what is sports, right? What What are we doing right now? Why do we do this show? 
It's all escapism. It's just entertainment. You come home from your bullshit job. You want to watch basketball. Maybe you feel a little resentment that these guys are making, you know, more money in an hour than you'll ever make in your lifetime. But the fact of the matter is it's a supply and demand type thing. And if you stop being willing to pay so much damn money for NBA tickets and merchandise, then, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the players would make less money. But we know that's not the case. Not for fans who are as rabid as we are. I never knew you were such a nihilist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess you could call that nihilism. But I'm, look, I'm just saying I understand why people are sometimes like, I don't want to throw that much money at the guy. But first of all, it's not even your money. It's Robert. Let Robert Sarver pay the man. It's not like you're taxed up. Well, <laughs> I guess actually, who? how much of Talking Stick Resort Arena is paid by uh, Arizona taxpayers? Do you know? I uh, I, I don't know, but I know that they're trying to remodel it or build a new arena and they want the taxpayers to pay for it. Yeah, so, you know, that's a whole that's a whole different discussion when that <laughs> comes, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, obviously teams fuck taxpayers over on that stuff all the time. But, like, if we're just talking about, you know, who's paying Devin his $150 million, it's not you. Mm-hmm. Let, let Sarver pay the man. This is the brightest uh, young player in the NBA right now, maybe except for, you know, Ben Simmons. But Ben Simmons can't shoot outside of 10 feet. So, you know, even there, I think there's an argument. So there was just no question that this deal was going to get done. Uh, it's the, easily the best move the Suns have made all offseason. And if you're a Suns fan, you should be very happy about this. I'm very happy about it. And I will say I am jealous of the $158 million, but I'm more jealous when I see Devin Booker hit a three-pointer with a six foot six guy draped all over him because I would like to be able to do that. <laughs> That's a marketable <laughs> skill, apparently. Yeah, 100%. I don't think there's any reason that Suns fans should be worried about this deal at all. It's an amazing deal. Yes, he makes a lot of money, but if we expect to ever attract other players to play in Phoenix, we have to have a player that players want to play with. And Devin Booker is that type of player. He hits open shots. He respects his teammates. He likes to talk shit on the court. Those types of players are actually fun when they're on your own team. And we need that bait to help attract other free agents. And he's the guy and we got him for as long as we want. And, you know, I guess the conversation for the Devin Booker hater will turn into how are we going to trade Devin Booker or how do we upgrade it? But I just don't see that at all. He's a great player and it's going to be fun to watch him for years to come. Let's take a quick break and let's come back and talk about our overreactions to the few summer league games that we got to watch back in a second. Hey guys, just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about a couple things we got going on. If you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter. It's at the Timeline Pod. We posted some great stuff there recently. We have an excellent DeAndre Ayton passing highlight video from his days at Arizona. Really fun to watch his passes. We get to see those in the NBA soon. We also posted a short highlight reel of Elia Kobo's off-dribble three-pointers. And both videos are posted with our analysis on why these skills will be important to the team in the future really fun to watch check us out there we'll post stuff there all the time also i just wanted to thank everyone for listening we've been putting a lot of work into the podcast and into our reddit and twitter posts and we really appreciate all of you if you have any friends that are Suns fans we're brand new and we could use the help in telling them about us you're probably thinking of a friend right now Uh, just share the podcast with them if you can send them a text or Tell them to go to our website, thetimelinepodcast.com, or maybe check us out on Twitter, and it would be a huge help for us. But once again, thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Okay, we're back. All right, so I went to Las Vegas. You watched the games on ESPN. Was Doris Burke calling the games, by the way? 
uh, she called at least one of them. I don't remember if she called the first one. That's great. I really like when she calls the games. It would have been interesting to watch that. I haven't seen any of the highlights or anything, really. I just watched the games in person. Got a few good first impressions. Let's talk about the first game. Uh, what did you... What, what, let's hear. What was your first impression of watching that first, that first game? Uh, by Marquise Kristoff. <laughs> or actually, that was, that, that was maybe my... Sorry to start off with the negatives here. I feel like I'm being overly negative today. Um, my first impression, the first game, we have shooters now on this team. Right? Right. We shot 44% from three-point range in that game mm-hmm. against the Mavericks. Um, Bridges was on fire. Davon Reed was on fire. Kobo was on fire. Not all those guys shot so well in the second game, but at least in that first game, they looked really good. Especially um, our point guards, Elliot Kobo and also Shaq Harrison, both played really, really well to the point where I was almost like, hey, maybe we don't need anyone else. We can just go in with these two as our second and third string point guards behind Knight and just see what we have. I mean, I don't think we'd be the best team ever, but like we could do that. Um, so that, that was really my first impression. My other first impression from the first game was uh, just the ball movement. Like, the right. Dallas was consistently double teaming Aiden in the post, sort of limited the amount of shot attempts that he would take, limiting his aggressiveness. But he did the right thing, and he was trying to find open shooters, pass out of those double teams, and just in general, Igor's sets looked great. There were some turnovers um, as a result of all the ball movement, but for the most part, I thought things looked pretty crisp. So, you know, not too many complaints uh, overall. Yeah, I feel the same way. Now, I'll talk about some some positives first because. It's important to, to stay positive as a fan because we got to do this for 82 games. Uh, first off, Elia Koba was fantastic. His vision was great. He had great ball handling. He hit a, a, an amazing three off the dribble as the shot clock was running out. He moved really quick to see him up close was interesting. You know, he doesn't look that small. I thought he looked kind of small when he first was drafted, but seeing him up close and on the court, he looks like he's in great shape and uh, he can he can really handle it. Uh, Mikhail Bridges, as you talked about, or as the announcer called him, Michael Bridges. I don't know if you heard that, but he kept calling him Michael Bridges. I actually didn't. Uh, he was fantastic. Four for five from three in that first game. And those threes, I, I think maybe one of them was wide open. The rest of them were contested three-pointers. I, I don't know. I'd have to yeah, watch highlights. Yeah, he was sinking contested threes. It, yeah. it kind of reminded me of Trevor Ariza, actually, to see it happen. Funny <laughs> enough. Um, and the other yeah. thing was, okay, so DeAndre Ayton, we should talk about the number one pick, of course. DeAndre Ayton, right. we expected him to be double teamed, right? He's massive. Uh, he's the number one pick, and it's summer league. You're not really expecting, that's the threat. That When the Mavericks look at the Suns roster, they say, okay, this is the man. This is the guy that can kill us if he wants to, even though Josh Jackson was playing. We'll talk about him in a second. Yeah, right. And what what I thought was great about Ayton is, when he gets double teamed, he doesn't force anything, at least so far. He's not forcing the ball up. He's not attempting to get fouled. He immediately moves the ball to the open man, and they can either shoot it if they're a great shooter or move the ball again to try and get him back to repost or whatever he needs to do. You can say that he was a bit, maybe a little unaggressive, not very aggressive in the post. Do you, do you think that? Um, well, yeah. I mean, I think clearly he wasn't being particularly aggressive in the post i mean you look at it he only had six field goal attempts in 22 minutes in that first game um but it it was just again it's i didn't want him to take 15 shots in 22 minutes if he was being dumb about it if he was being double teamed every possession especially when you're playing on a summer league roster that does have actual shooters that you can kick it out to in davon reed and um mikhail bridges you know not so much josh jackson uh and shaq harrison but you do you do have some weapons 
if you're Aiden. So I want him to utilize them. And, you know, I'd like to think that part of it is natural instincts on his part, but part of it is also maybe Igor already talking to him, getting through to him. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't think it was a, the most aggressive performance, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Night one. No, I completely agree with that. I think people wanting him to absolutely dominate and just go in there and have a shack like game. I understand that desire. That would have been really fun to watch. But the reality is we drafted him to be a great basketball player and basketball player or playing basketball doesn't always mean forcing it. I don't want him to force it. Uh, one of the quotes that came out of some of their summer league practices was that in Igor's offense, the big man is the playmaker. And you could see that DeAndre Ayton kind of took that to heart. He was trying to move the ball around. And I thought he played really well. He didn't get a lot of shots up, but he was four for six, really efficient in his shooting. Um, and he, he did get some rebounds. The second game was a lot better. We'll talk about that in a second. But in the first game, let's talk about some of the things that we thought were negatives. Now, I don't want to focus too much on this, but it's important to talk about. One, I have a question for Igor. Is Josh Jackson going to be allowed to shoot those pull-up step-back jumpers from 19 feet in the NBA, or is this just a summer league thing? I hope it's just a summer league thing because, um, well, I'll read out the stats. Josh finished with 12 points in 20 minutes, but on 4 of 16 shooting from the field, he shot 0 for 5 from 3-point range, Uh, 4 for 5 from the free throw line, which is pretty good, and he also had 5 rebounds. But, yeah, Josh, for a lot of that game, especially in the first half when he finished 0 for 9 from the field, looked like he did in the first half of his uh, rookie season which is to say, well, bad. Um, I would like to think that when Booker is a weapon on the floor, he's going to defer to Booker because a Booker pull-up mid-range, if you have to do it, is a lot more of an efficient option than a Josh Jackson pull-up mid-range, at least at this point in their respective careers. Um, so, you know, it didn't, it didn't bother me too much. It was an off night for Josh, and, well, so far he's had two off nights in summer league, although we'll talk about the other one in a minute. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's anything that we have to worry about too much at this point because Josh has demonstrated all of the second half of last season that he's capable of reining it in, showing a little more patience and picking the spots. It looked a lot like when Devin Booker played two summer league games when uh, you obviously knew that he was going to be great in the NBA after the end of his first season. He showed up to summer league and Devin Booker said, well, I'm clearly supposed to be great, so I'm going to absolutely dominate. The difference is Devin Booker did dominate and Josh Jackson just doesn't have that ability I like the confidence. I like that he went in there trying to prove something as a second-year player, but those aren't good shots. That Those shots have to change. He looked a lot better in the second half when he was catching the ball on the move, going towards the basket, trying to move the ball a little bit, really getting up to the free throw line if he had to. I think those types of things are the types of things that Igor is going to have to talk to him about, and I think he did. One of the good ways to judge a coach is, one, how prepared are they on defense, which they looked great on defense, and two, what kind of adjustments are made at halftime? And and if he did talk to Josh Jackson at halftime or one of the coaching staff did, those adjustments were good adjustments. He, he was a lot better coming out of the second half, attacking the basket, moving the ball, really getting downhill towards the basket, which is an important thing for him to do. I just don't think once we surround Josh, or once we surround Devin Booker with other shooters and uh, DeAndre Ayton in the middle. It just that's a very inefficient, inefficient shot, and I don't want to see Josh Jackson shooting those step back mid range jumpers for an entire season. I hope that's uh, part of his game that he starts to phase out a little bit. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like when he was doing it at the end of last season against the Warriors, scoring thirty six points or whatever he did, I was going crazy. Mm-hmm. Right, like that was awesome to see. It's nice to see that he has that in his arsenal to fall back on. 
But we're trying to build a roster now where we have like better options than that. You know, that's like possibly the least efficient shot in all of basketball. Mm-hmm. So if you've got weapons like Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden on the floor, then yeah, of course we want Josh to to rein it in a little bit, be smarter, and uh, I think I think he can do that. I have um, a lot more faith in him as a player currently than I do in the other guy who we're about to talk about yeah. as a negative in that first one. If Dragon Bender is taking the ball out and throws it to the other team one more time, I might die. <laughs> I don't think I can handle that anymore. We watched it all last season and all his first season as well. He's taking the ball out of bounds. It's very easy, right? There's one defender usually and one of your players, maybe two on one. You have a little bit of time to take it out, right? Maybe that's what's scaring him. Don't pass it to the other team. How about that? <laughs> he had five that? turnovers twice he passed it to the team uh, other team on out of bounds plays this is something that should not be part of his game anymore he shouldn't be doing that in a summer league game and he had five turnovers right in this whole game he had five points and eight turnovers in the two games All of, so far. yes and there's another uh, game so you know again maybe this will age really sourly and he'll have a great game tomorrow and by all means don't get it wrong folks both of us want him to do well dragon seems like a great guy he really does um but I, I just, it, it is starting to baffle me more and more every day how we took him fourth. Because if you, well, if you go back to his EuroLeague production, he, he didn't really produce all that much with Maccabi Tel Aviv the season before uh, he was drafted. He, he barely even played. So he's always sort of been this tantalizing prospect, to use a, a recent Woj word, and, and has <laughs> sort of been judged more based on his potential than what's actually there. And now, you know, two years in, people say he's still young and he still has time, and maybe that's true. But, you know, it, it's it's getting harder and harder not to turn on him a little bit. And I think that's what we're currently seeing with a lot of the Suns fan base. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think here's why. It's not that he's making mistakes. No, it's not. It's, it's the mistakes that he's making. He continually makes the same mistakes over and over and over and over again. And when you watch a player develop, there is you do have to give them a longer leash when they're young players. But if they continue to make the same mistakes, uh, then it gets a little frustrating and you start to lose a little bit of faith. Now, of course, this can all change, right? He, he's got a new coach, maybe the first time he's had a real coach in his, tire, his entire NBA career. And he's only had two summer league games with him. It's possible that a really good coach can change Dragon Bender and use him correctly. It just it seems to be less and less likely as time goes on. They got a lot of time. We have an entire season ahead of us, and we have, of course, preseason and everything coming up to try and judge that. But I wouldn't be surprised if McDonough is already kind of thinking, well, where, what other power forwards are out there that we can have long term? Yeah. Uh, you know. yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if you look at Dragon's stats between his first year and his second year in the NBA. He improved his three-point shooting a lot last year. He improved it from 28% as a rookie to 37% as a sophomore. By the time he was shooting 37%, he became a, a consistent spot-up weapon. Uh, other than that, no real development whatsoever. I mean, you know, you look at the stats across the board. Per 36, they look basically the same. His player efficiency rating last year was a 7.1. He was still below average in terms of his true shooting percentage. Um, his value over replacement player was in the negatives. His box plus minus was in the negatives. His win shares was almost in the negatives, which is really hard to do. Um, his real plus minus, that ESPN advanced stat, I mean, basically name me any advanced stat there is, and it probably hates Dragon Bender. That, that's what we're dealing with right now, and that's why I've been stressing the fact that if the Suns want to win, 
first and foremost, even more important than DeAndre Ayton having a good rookie season, even more important than Devin Booker and Josh Jackson taking another step up. Power forward, that's the key to all of this. Last year, we played 48 minutes per game um, of Dragon Bender and Marquise Grace at power forward every night. And I think that's what hurt us the most more than any other thing on this roster. So Dragon's going to earn his playing time and these performances in summer league, they're not a good start. I completely agree. It's going to be interesting to see where we go from here as far as uh, that goes. But I I imagine he's going to be getting a lot of time on the court still. The Marquise Chris stock joke that you made earlier is an interesting one, Uh right? Does this mean just Marquise Chris might get the starting job? Igor did say all starting positions are up for grabs. So other than, of course, the $158 million player, I think he's going to start. But we don't know who's going to start at Power Forward. Of course, we've talked about Trevor Reza. We don't really know that that's the case. I have a feeling it's going to be some combination of TJ Warren and Trevor Reza or Josh Jackson and Trevor Reza once the season starts. And they're just sort of going to play the forward positions without any indication on who's a Power Forward and who's not. I don't really know any information on that. That's just kind of how I feel like it's going to turn out. But it can't, it can't be Dragon Bender if we're really trying to win. And maybe we're not. This can just be another development year. It's not like we have a chance to make... I don't think we have a chance to make the playoffs. But let's yeah. move on to the second game. We have a lot to talk about in that second game. Yeah, second second win in a row. So Yeah. Yeah, actually, we should, we should mention that for the first game. They were prepared. They played really well. And they won. And it seemed like all of the players were ready. They None of them seemed like they got hit by that the, the big lights or, you know, the, the crowd or everything kind of all happening at once. Everyone looked like they were prepared and they won the game. That's, that's an important thing for a team that's lost so many games recently to see that scoreboard at the end of the game and said, we, we did that. We won that game. So we get into the second game. It's the number one pick versus the number one or the number two pick who elbowed Josh Jackson in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy block. Uh, this game... Crazy block. Yes. I, I think we should start a petition to have Josh Jackson wear that mask all the time. So it brought something out <laughs> of him. Yeah. No, I mean, look, Josh struggled uh, efficiency-wise again in the second game. He struggled with turnovers, but that was a hell of a highlight play. He had that block on Marvin Bagley, a real welcome to the NBA moment for Bagley, I think. Um, and, and just yeah, the you, Suns had a couple highlight blocks. Yeah, I mean, one from Bender, too. We talked about these two as, as struggling the most out of anyone to start Summer League, but they've had our mm-hmm. two best uh, highlights. And and when Josh really goes for it, his athleticism is just unparalleled. It truly is. Yeah, he, he looks a lot. I thought he looks a lot better in the second game. Um, you know, let's see. I'm going to look at the stats. Uh, obviously, there was some rough shooting in, in both games, but there, he was attacking the basket more. He seemed like he was moving the ball. In this game, though, we should talk about DeAndre Ayton first because yeah, De- DeAndre he had it first of all he had a double double or let's see actually a twenty one and yeah he had twenty one and twelve so he had a double double but the twenty one points it's it's almost like he had the opportunity to score thirty in this game except we don't know how to pass entry passes in <laughs> yeah that's that's one of the things that I was going to bring up is like one of the negatives like Davon Reed and Shaquille Harrison both racked up some turnovers in this one. Um, overall, I thought both of those guys still played pretty well, but just like mm-hmm. entry passes, a big focus for the Suns now the rest of the offseason because you need to learn how to feed DeAndre Ayton the ball if he's going to be one of your main scoring options. So obviously we struggled to get him the ball. Um, but yeah, Ayton didn't start really racking up his points until the like late third, early fourth quarter, it felt like. like It didn't really feel like he was even going to get to the 20-point mark uh, for much of the game. And when he did score... 
Uh, most of the time it's on like Elia Kobo lobs and tip packs and things like that. Right. It, 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 I think there were three, turn- maybe four turnovers in the first quarter alone, just trying to get him the ball in the post. And, and here's, here's the thing. Post passes are hard. Entry passes are hard. It's not easy. It's almost like shooting a shot. You have a, a short window. A lot of these NBA defenders have really long arms. You have a small space that you have to get the ball into. And there's just not a lot of post players. So a lot of these guys, especially this, the ones who have been on the Suns for a few years, have no experience throwing it into the post because they're not going to do that for Alex Lennon. They're not going to do that for Tyson Chandler because Tyson Chandler just doesn't play that way. So they do have to get used to it, and it will take some time to to. to get those passes in there but it doesn't seem like i think the most efficient way to use a center is to try and get him on the move towards the basket and throw those lob passes up those seem to be a lot better uh Aiton did a lot of his work off of rebounds as well was getting some offensive boards and, and tossing it in there he had five offensive rebounds in fact so you know maybe you don't have to run a lot of plays for deandre Aiton for him to do well especially in a situation like this but he's very efficient both games really efficient games he played really well in the first game he did have some trouble uh, on defense, I would say. I don't, we didn't really talk about that, but he was behind a lot of a lot of plays, kind of forgetting to help. In mm-hmm. the second game, I thought he played a lot better. Did you notice that as well? Yeah, no, I noticed it as well. Uh, we, we knew coming into the season that Aiden, I think, is going to be like this, that there are questions about his defensive instincts sort of uh, watching. You know, it's like a backdoor screen, uh, backdoor screen gets set and, and someone runs, makes a cut towards the basket, sort of slips behind him. Um, that's going to keep happening, I think. It's nothing that can't be fixed by coaching, at least I hope. But uh, yeah, his, the defensive concerns, they're definitely there for a reason. So, you know, it's not something where we should just blindly love DeAndre Ayton and hail him as the next David Robinson. He's playing really well offensively so far, and I, I do agree with you. I think he played better defensively in that second game. Um, but he has some tendencies that need to be worked on. Yeah, it was interesting to see those right away in Summer League. You can really see it, especially uh, for me. What really highlighted it is after that game, I saw Wendell Carter Jr. play. And Wendell Carter Jr. has amazing defensive instincts. He had five blocks in that game. He was all over the place on defense. And, and of course, Wendell Carter Jr. has nothing close to the offensive prowess that DeAndre Ayton has but to see those two players play back-to-back in games really highlighted the type of things that DeAndre Ayton does need to to work on Um, having a good coach will help playing center full-time will help I think it's a different position than he's used to and he's really got to be that last line of defense in all in all ways at this point Uh, so I have a feeling it's going to improve first of all he's massive seeing him in person he looks massive uh, so that makes a huge difference on its own so I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see his development on defense over the course of the season. Yeah, and uh, keep in mind, since you mentioned Wendell Carter Jr., we've got the Magic coming up as our third game tomorrow. So that's going to be really interesting, the Mo Bamba-DeAndre Ayton matchup. I mean, I think Ayton has the potential, just because of his strength advantage, to eat Bamba alive if he actually gets it in the post. But Bamba, generally speaking, is you know one of the most polished defensive prospects there is, maybe more so just because of his physical attributes, like there's still questions about his motor and and whatnot, but it's going to be interesting comparing those two players just because Bamba comes in as the defensive-minded next Rudy Gobert or whatever, and Aiden is sort of the offensive-minded player. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun game to watch. I'm really excited to see those two players go against each other, and it's a good test. It's a it's a good test for him. Obviously, the Marvin Bagley uh, game was a good test as well. I would say Aiden won that game. What do you think? Yeah, easily. Bagley hasn't had a particularly efficient summer league so far. So. 
Yeah, it's efficiency is very important for a big man. You're under the basket. You got to be efficient. And, and he, he shot 38% in that game. Didn't do that well uh, offensively. Didn't look fully comfortable defensively either. I still really like Marvin Bagley. Seeing him up close was crazy too because he just looks so massive and his arms are so long. I think he's going to be really good. And we get to watch these players go against each other. Sacramento, another team in our division. We're going to play them four times a year. And we get to see them go against each other every year. The Mobamba uh, game, the Orlando game tomorrow or Monday, uh, that's something we're not going to see as often. They're on the East, and so it'll be interesting to see that. A massive defensive player who there's been a highlight before. We've actually seen DeAndre Ayton back him down and just give him the drop step and slam on his head. <laughs> so if that can happen in that game, that would be really fun. It went viral when Embiid did it, so hopefully if uh, DeAndre Ayton does something similar, people can see what he's capable of. Yeah, Bamba is just one of those prospects, like most big men who come into the NBA, where it's just clear he needs to put on muscle, add to his frame. DeAndre Ayton is kind of unusual in the sense that he comes in and he already looks like he could be 25, right? Um, so mm-hmm. we'll see. You know, Ayton definitely has the potential. I'd like to see some nice entry passes into him, give him a few looks in the post against Bamba, because I'm confident that that is a type of center where Bamba's a great rim protector, you know, if you're coming at him in transition. But if Ayton just puts his back to him, it might be barbecue chicken, Ernie. So we'll see. Um, it, you know, if not, on the other hand, Bamba has like the most freakish wingspan in the NBA right now. So if you throw a bad entry pass, it's going to go right into his hands too. So got to perfect the pass. So one thing I want to talk about too is uh, Davon Reed played really well in these two games, I thought. Uh, you know, of course he had some turnovers in that Sacramento game, uh, but he, he was working hard. His shot was on. He plays defense. He moves his feet. And the godfather, Gambo, reported that it doesn't seem like the Suns are going to keep him on the team. Uh, You know, of course, we have Troy Daniels currently on the roster, but that's a backup. That's backup shooting guard position. Maybe Brandon Knight can play a little bit of that. It seems like he's going to play at point guard. It seems like we might, you know, if if Gambo's telling the truth here, it seems like we might be running with uh, Troy Daniels instead of uh, Davon Reed and Davon Reed only played to raise his stock for other teams. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's sort of unfortunate because Reed really hasn't gotten a fair look, and I'm hoping the Suns aren't ready to give up on him already. The reality of where we're at right now is we've, we're down to 15 guys now that we waived. We so we signed George King to a two-way contract, and we waived Allen Williams. So we've got 15 our 15 roster spots filled right now with Shaq Harrison and Davon Reed occupying those final two spots. Uh, sometimes it is a good idea to go into the season with 14 guys, have an open roster spot for, you know, in case you want to facilitate some sort of trade or have a little bit of extra flexibility. But the Suns could just go in with the roster as is right now. And look, <laughs> I think if Dragon Bender deserves a third year, then Davon Reed deserves a second year, if that makes sense. Given where their production, yeah, he was injured. Yeah, given where their production is at on the court, I mean, I recognize Reed. I think literally shot like 28 percent from the field in his rookie year. But he only had a handful of games where he actually played meaningful minutes. He was injured for most of the time. Uh, we know his potential as a 3 and D player, and I understand the Suns have a lot of wings right now, but I just think if it's going to be him or Troy Daniels, I do like Troy Daniels as a very consistent shooter, but his defense is such a negative that we should be giving Reed a, a full chance at a sophomore season unless we have some crazy trade lined up that will require us to have an open roster spot. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I hope... I, he the players like him. That's that's another thing. Is a lot of the players speak really highly of Davon Reed. So 
they must know. We didn't really see it last year. We didn't really get to see what he's capable of. And this is kind of the first time that we've really seen it. Maybe there was, I think there was one summer league game where he kind of went off last year as well. But this is kind of the first time we've really seen what he's known for, the defense and the shooting. And, and he did really well. Contested threes. He hit a few contested threes. And obviously we have to surround him, Aiton, with those uh, shooters. So Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what I was going to say is Shaq and Reed both. You know, they both... We talked about their turnovers, struggling to make entry passes. They combined for six turnovers in that game against um, the Kings, but they also combined for five steals. So, you know, they, these are two guys that make up for it on the other end. Um, you know, Shaq was a little less efficient offensively, and we shot three for 11 in that game. But I've been generally impressed with his play so far in Summer League too. So I don't really – I'm not eager to lose either of these guys right now unless we have something big lined up. And and furthermore, to just circle back to the Bender discussion for a minute, if we're talking about needing to free up a roster space because we have some sort of big deal on the move, something we could potentially do is, you know, if we want to free up a long-term roster space, decline Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris, but right now more likely Dragon Bender, his fourth-year team option. Because the way these work is the Suns have to decide by the beginning of this season if they want to accept the options for Marquise Chris and Drunken Vendor for the 2019-2020 season. So no matter what happens, these guys, those two are going to play with us for this next year. We're talking about the year after that. And Drunken Vendor and Marquise Chris make a combined $10 million a year, which if you decided you know, that one of them was such a sunk cost that you were willing to get rid of them, that's potentially a lot of cap space that we could have around next summer for more free agent signings, especially it would really help with us being able to easily create a max contract slot if we wanted to chase after Kemba Walker or Clay Thompson or Jimmy Butler, or Kevin Love. Wow. So, wow. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> is would it be an easy decision? No, because if you decline the option on Bender for his fourth year, then that means if he becomes amazing in this third year, he would then become an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, and he would probably be pissed at us uh, on top of it, so he'd probably be leaving. But with the way he's playing, if you want to free up a roster spot and some cap space long-term, I mean, I'd have to think that at this point, the front office is at least thinking about it. Now, maybe it's because I just left Vegas, but I, I, I'm willing to 100% guarantee, to the point that I would put money on it, that they will not do that. <laughs> But not because it's not a good idea. It's actually, it's an interesting thought. It's a guarantee. You can still kind of free up that cap space later. There are different ways to do that. But Yeah, there are lots of routes. He was he was a high pick by McDonough. And McDonough doesn't, he doesn't want to, he won't give up on him. He wants to give him the chance. And I think he deserves a chance with a good coach for a year, assuming Igor is a good coach. I like everything I've seen so far. In fact, let's talk a little bit about that before we go here. What were your impressions on what the Suns did as far as coaching-wise? We won both of these games, first of all. Both games, a lot of the Summer League games were very close. The Suns games were not. They were very clear that the Suns are going to win both of these games. Uh, what did you think? Yeah, so I alluded to it before, but the ball movement. Um, I want to throw out a stat. 65% of our made field goals in these two games were assisted. Um, so to put that in perspective, last season, only 55% of all of our field goals were assisted. It's something that we've consistently struggled with in the past. And I know it's only a two game sample size. So I feel like that sort of goes without saying like natural variations occur. 65% over two games might be a little of an outlier, but the, the point is that the Suns have struggled in the past 
consistently finishing near last in the NBA in terms of assists and uh, just struggling with ball movement in general. I mean, to find the last time that this Suns team had more than 60% of our field goals assisted, you'd have to go all the way back to the 2010-11 season uh, with Steve Nash as our point guard when we ranked third in the league in assists. So basically eight years ago was the last time we got even over 60%. We were at 65% over these first two games. That's a really encouraging sign to me, especially when you have two point guards in Elliot Kobo and Shaq Harrison who aren't even considered pass-first point guards. I mean, Shaq Harrison is like a 3-and-D role player. Elliot Kobo is coming out sort of more as a score-first type guard. So the fact that Igor was able to do this with our offense in these first two games is really impressive to me. I completely agree. One thing I will say is, one, I think it's funny that we, every, Suns fans have just sort of agreed that we're calling him Igor. Yeah. <laughs> That's just, <laughs> I, get, I think it's because people are afraid to say Kokoshkov on the fly and accidentally mispronounce it, which I completely understand. <laughs> I don't want to mispronounce it on the record here. So uh, I, I will always remember when Gambo said, Kakaskov, I'll never forget it. So I don't want to be that guy either. I love that his name is Igor. Two, I really liked the ball movement and the player movement, but I will remember the first press conference that Igor had as the Suns coach. They kind of asked him his expectations, that kind of thing. And he said something that stuck with me. He said, the number one thing that makes a coach look good, and of course I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember exactly how he said it. But he said the number one thing that makes a coach look good, the most important thing for coaching is good players. And I think what this showed is that we have a lot of good young players right now. And yes, it's hard to look good when you're kind of coaching Shaq Harrison and Alec Peters in, in, in an NBA game. But when you got Davon Reed, Mikhail Bridges, DeAndre, and Josh Jackson in a summer league game, the talent is better than the other teams. So he has an advantage as a coaching advantage just because he's coaching better talent. The Suns should win these games. So while I will say it looked really good, I liked the ball movement, the stats are good. What we, the two things we were the worst at last year were assist rate and three-point percentage, and they shot really well in both games for the most part. And the ball was moving enough to, to rack up some assists across the board. But it's difficult to know what it's going to look like going into the season. Judging coaching can be hard. We talked about some ways to do it. Of course, there's after timeout plays, there's adjustments made the number one thing i think thing i think is important for coaching is how prepared is the team for the players that they're playing against i think that's why uh, brad stevens is so good everyone's so prepared on how to defend every every team on the celtics they all know their assignments they all know what they need to do to to force the least efficient shot so it's going to be interesting to see good signs so far i would say i don't I'm, i'm not saying that i don't think it's good but good signs so far but it's hard it's hard to tell we have the best players. We should win these games. And that's yeah, really it, it right now for me. <laughs> I agree with you. There, there's no way that we would really get a firm grasp on Igor as a coach after two summer league games. I mean, he's figuring it out right now as much as as much right. as the players <laughs> right, are. I course. think that's the whole reason he's doing summer league in the first place, to get his first taste, uh, not of head coaching, but of practicing with these specific players. So it's going to take some time. And... We're going to want all the answers as Suns fans, but we're not going to get those answers really until the regular season starts. Um, so we'll see. For now, though, pretty good start. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic about the Suns making it three in a row uh, against the Magic for their next game. Yeah, I agree. Uh, one thing I will say, actually, now that you, you kind of triggered a memory here seeing something in person is you said Igor's figuring it out just as everyone else is. What I thought was interesting is on the first few timeouts in the Dallas game, 
uh, he would huddle up with the coaches first, so all of his assistants, and then he would go into the huddle with all the players. And, you know, I watched that happen. I thought, well, I've never seen that before. That That's kind of interesting. But it's because the coaches are not on the same page yet either. He's coaching the coaches as well. He has to get his vision into the assistant coaches' minds so that they're all on the same page. And it's hard to sort of recreate in-game situations in practice. When you're in a game, those in-game situations can only happen in that game. So coaches are really trying to figure it out, just like you said, and, and him trying to get all those coaches on the same page, I thought was a kind of a cool thing to see. Huddle up with the coaches. Hey, here's my game plan. Here's how I want to get it out to them, I assume. I don't know what he was saying. And then he goes into the players, and he can deliver that message to the players directly. Kind of cool to see him coaching the coaches like that. Yeah, and that's especially because I think it's something we may have touched on before, but this son's coaching staff is young. Um, I mean, I think Prunty is the lead assistant, and he's about the same age as Igor, but uh, a lot of them are in their 30s. Like Corliss Williamson um, is going to be in his 30s. Um, I don't remember every assistant coach that we hired off the top of my head, but I just remember a lot of these guys. Um, McMillan, Jamal McMillan, is 29, I think, mm-hmm. and he's going to be an assistant coach for us. So <laughs> a lot of these guys are going to be learning on the fly. It doesn't mean they weren't uh, well-deserved hires. It doesn't mean they didn't have experience across the board at various levels of basketball, including most of them at the NBA level uh, for years and years. But yeah, everyone on this coaching staff is going to be figuring it out for a little while. Yeah. Now, who was the most impressive player from the first game, in your opinion? From the first game we're talking about. So the... The Dallas game. Dallas game. Um, that was probably Davon Reed. He shot 7 of 8 from the field, 18 points. Yeah, probably probably Davon Reed, but Mikhail Bridges was close behind I think I got to pick Mikhail Bridges. I just I was so impressed with what he was doing. The shots he took were so difficult, and he took them without hesitation, and it just looked easy for him, basically. And I was very impressed in person. Who was the least impressive, in your opinion? Uh, the first game? Yep. I mean, I feel bad picking him because it's going to be both games that I pick him for, but it's Dragon, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. It, it, it has it to has be. It has to be Dragon. It has, and I don't want to do it. Good. But it has to Josh be. wasn't good in that first game. Also, no. Alec Peters didn't really do anything um, in that first game. He played a little better in that second game, but and Alec Peters doesn't come with the expectations of a top four pick, and Draken does. So it has to be Draken. Yeah, I agree with that, and and I think that he's also the least impressive from the Sacramento game as well. But who do you think was the most impressive from the Sacramento game? Yeah, it's DeAndre for me. It but has it's to be. funny because if you watch that game and we talked about it before, it kind of felt like he wasn't even he wasn't even going full force. Like he had right. more in the tank. He could have had thirty and fifteen. He really yep, could. I have. completely agree. Um, yep, so. I'm excited to see what happens once we start learning how to pass him the ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think Booker's going to be able to pass him the ball. Hopefully, um, I think. And so. then you know I those shots, so. those when those double teams come, uh, when those double teams come. Excuse me, if Booker is out there and he's left open, we're going to be in fine shape on offense, my friends. Still have a long way to go on defense, but we'll sort it out eventually. Who needs that anyway? Yep, and it, just a quick shout out to Elia Kobo from that first game as well. Totally. Very impressive. Not a huge stat, not like a ton of stats, but the reads he was making, either with his shot or with his passes, I was really impressed with. It was cool to see that in person. Um, but that's all I got. You got anything else? Um, yeah, before we go, uh, just a meta note, I guess. Uh, some of you guys have been asking us about a mailbag episode. Um, so I'm pretty sure the plan is that that's going to be our next episode. So keep an eye out. We'll definitely put something on Twitter. 
uh, which is again at the timeline pod, or we'll probably throw a thread up on Reddit as well for those of you who've been following us so far on Reddit. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward to answering your questions. Keep them basketball or Suns related if you can, but you know, whatever goes. So that, that'll come out sometime uh, in a few days to up to a week. Yep. Keep track of Reddit. Keep track of Twitter. We'll post something. And thanks for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.